lead me to the rock. <laughs> we had this running joke. It's really not a joke. It's just a running, I'm not sure, a running testimony and witness of the Lord. <clears throat> I don't meet with the musicians and rarely do I request a song. But I'm amazed week after week, midweek, Sunday mornings, how the songs blend with the message. I love it. I'm not, I don't want to get in the way of it. <laughs> and Kathy had no idea what I was going to share tonight, I don't think, too much. Unless you were speaking at Psalm 61 or something. I don't know that you did. <laughs> I do you didn't. Um, this is a, a real personal psalm uh, to me. Uh, one of the things that happened when I was ministering um, was an event that took place in our lives, which I'm going to share here tonight. About 10 years ago, and the Lord uh, gave me this particular psalm after the fact and so about like I said about 10 years ago our son was in the military and only a few people in this room would know what, what happened because they were part of the prayer so it went up uh, on behalf of him he I guess contacted eosinophilic pneumonia halfway through his AIT which is uh, he was in the EOD, the bomb squad, and he was halfway through his training when he come down with this, and um, we had no idea. I barely, un I barely understood intubation at that point. We get a call on early, early hours of a Tuesday morning, and or Monday morning, I guess it was, and. Um, saying that our son was sick and and that um, we might want to come down. And so we were here, living here in Greenville, <clears throat> and he was at Eglin Air Force Base, which is in the panhandle of Florida. And that's where the training uh, took, was taking place. So we pulled ourselves together at 3 in the morning, <laughs> drove down there, and on the way down there we were, you know, Still trying to wake up, taking turns driving, and it's about an eight-hour drive, so you got a lot of time to think. And we didn't really, maybe my wife understood things better than I did. Uh, you know, we we're both trying to figure stuff out. We didn't realize he, how sick he was and how desperate the situation was. Uh, but I just, as I was, she was driving, and I just remember the conversation I had in my mind. Um, with the Lord that I just got this impression that uh, Satan was trying to kill my son. I'm like, I'm like, like okay. Like, this is just a passing thought. And uh, we got down there. It's a big, huge base if you've ever been there. We were met by a colonel. Um, he walked, he, he found, he could see we were trying to figure stuff out and so he figured he was looking for us. Um, two people looking for help. <laughs> he came and got us at the office, said, 
talked to one of the ladies where they check you in and give you all your credentials, and that got passed. And he said, get in the car and come with me. So we drove 20 minutes across the base to the hospital. And uh, I thought this was really nice, boy. Nice service you get. We're met by another officer who became our confidant or whatever it was that they, they give you someone to take care of you while you're there, make sure you have your stuff. Um, How, well, I mean, I'm talking about the the individual that... It wasn't, it wasn't a passing thing. He, fled, he sped through the base, and they, he ran through the, through the hospital. They thought he was going to be dead by the time he got there. Yeah, so okay. They were, they were yeah. You kind of made it sound like it was easy going. Well, it was for me, because I didn't understand the full <laughs> magnitude of it. It's like, well, you know, it didn't really dawn on me until we gathered outside in the visitor's room on the same floor with three nurses or so, a pulmonary surgeon, uh, respiratory therapist, you know, seven or eight personnel. Like, this isn't a broken leg. You know, this is serious. And so the doctor's trying to tell us what eosinophilic pneumonia is and all the whole things, you know. I'm like, oh, I was like, so then he gives me, over the next day, he gives me tons of stuff to read so I get filled in on what's going on. And, you know, through this whole thing, there's never an audible voice that I hear. Tuesday morning, about 2 a.m., um, they were trying to bring him up out of the coma because it's an induced coma when you're intubated. But they got to make sure you're still there and that things are still working right. But every so often they bring you up because, but, and they couldn't keep him there because any kind of movement would drop him below 90%, uh, percent, which is oxygen level that you need to maintain. Um, oxygen levels so you don't get organ damage. So in this particular application, his heart stopped beating for about 10 minutes. So as soon as I'm watching this, I'm like, this inner conversation I'm having with the Lord is like, wow, are you going to take your son home? No answer, but the next few hours and the next couple of days unfolded an incredible amount of things that uh, led to his healing. Uh, he, this pulmonary surgeon had lost a 19-year-old to this. My son happened to be 24 at the time. Good health. And what was going on is his body was overreacting and they had to like try to calm it down um, Finally, they figured out how to deal with it. They, yeah, acute respiratory disaster syndrome. And so they give him the proper medicine. He says, you know, we got a young man came from um, his third tour, came to assist the respiratory therapist, saying, look, if you want to reach these numbers, you're not going to do it this way. You need to do what we've been doing over in Afghanistan and in the Middle East with these lung injuries. And so they jacked up the pressure, did some stuff that she'd never done before in her 20 years. And it was enough to stabilize him. And then as soon as you get it to a certain point, you need to get him on a the bed, the rotating bed, which is what they wanted was something that there was only two in the whole region. One in Florida and one in um, Arkansas somewhere. So we happened to be in earshot of 
uh, having this conversation with the equipment needed, and uh, the RA said, "Well, it, this the only way we're going to get that is if the, we can get the you know the um, help me out with the head of the hospital." Um, to use that, it's a five, it's a half a million dollar piece of equipment, and she happened to be the hospital administrator has to sign off on that. She happened to be walking by and heard what what do what do we need here, and that was there within 24 hours set up. He was put in it. They flip you over for two hours this way, back up this way for two hours, back this way, and then something drastically changed when they took that direction. And he, the doctor, come in on a Thursday morning and he said some things I won't repeat, but he was like, wow. And I'm like, okay, is that good or bad? <laughs> and uh, so okay, let me just, let me just you can fill in some voids there. I was going to say they told us the best they could hope for the night before. Without this machine, he would die. That there's, it was 20% chance with the machine. Okay. Um, and they said, um, we're hoping the best, we're hoping he can, he'll be a lung cripple. We're hoping he'll survive enough to be a lung cripple. Mm -hmm. We're praying that he has brain function. We're praying that he has uh, heart function. And because they were doing this, they were doing this, uh, what you call it, balancing beam between all three organs. And he would stand for hours, the, the pulmonary would stand for hours just watching him go like this and directing, do this, do this, do this, do this. And he's going back and forth trying to keep his brain alive, trying to keep his heart alive, trying to keep his lung alive. And he did that the whole night long. And all the teens were just, and he was the only one in that. Only one in that At that place. time, he got full 100% attention yeah. of everybody that was on that shift and it was they needed. fully did not expect him to live. I mean, when they, we walked in the room, they were all standing with their hands, heads bowed, and their hands down. They really thought he was gone. They called in all his platoon, his buddies, and they said their goodbyes mm -hmm. that night. And um, so he was... Um, it was not expected at all. So when he said this morning, when you know they got they had tubes going out and they had the wires jaw shut, they had the you know they had, it was just it took twenty four men to get him in that machine. Hmm. It was crazy. To, they, when they did the shift change, they moved him from one room into the other room where this machine was at. Anyway, so he said the best we can hope for is for him to be a lung cripple the rest of his life. We're hoping he'll live. So essentially what was happening is his, the, his lungs were lined with mucus, essentially. And so you can't get the oxygen in, you can't get the carbon dioxide out, you're just suffocating. Mm -hmm. And so they had to figure out a way to you know, clear the... So that's why they use extreme pressure in that situation. And he turned the corner, and then the, later that day the, the doctor says, well, it's pull and pray time. You pull the tube out, and you pray they can breathe on their own. And that was where the rubber meets the road type. And um, so, you know, it's one of those what things. What expected to happen in two weeks happened in about four hours. And believe it or not, I, he went from 180 pounds to about 220 because he's just taking in all these fluids. And so all the... He blew up. 
He blew up with flu because they're filling all these things. So when he's in this thing, he's just dripping. And he said, don't be surprised when he comes out of this. He's going to look like he's went through a 12-round you know, bout. He'll be black and blue, puffed up. And then when he left, he was about 170. <laughs> so in 12 days, he walked out of the hospital. He could have walked out in 10, but the paperwork slowed things up. I mean, the Lord just, without any... No oxygen. Just, he was back. He, he, he got six weeks off at home with us, and then we took him back, and then he rehabbed, and they, he, was a, he was able to get back in the program and, and finish up. So those are, those are, you know, I got to say, and this is an important thing for, on a personal level, you know, this is a personal testimony. You know, you I've been serving the Lord. I got—I was saved in '77, and you know I've been through a, a leadership and planning churches and all that stuff. And I'd been pastoring for about 20 years at that point. And I, you know, I just like, okay, where am I going with this ministry here? And we'd been here for you know three or four years, or however long it was. And kind of like you know, where's it? Where are we going with this, Lord? You know, those were kind of the things. And I, you know, it wasn't really a. I wouldn't say I was. My heart was on fire like it needed to be, and I, you know, like, well, I'm just going to be a second class pastor, and that's just the way it's going to be. <laughs> you know, what I mean, I, I don't know how else to frame that. But this event showed me something in my walk with the Lord that I had never experienced before. That He really, I never sensed the closeness of His love and grace, and like, whoa. And really, what it was is what happened is was what this psalm is all about, and that is prayer. Because uh, John and Indrani, Myrna, and a number of the other people, she had been in the church, I don't think, too long when this happened, right? They all gathered, you know, the midweek. They were all praying. The women were praying. It was that night. It was the cruise ship. Yeah. It, you know, it was just, so we had people. Our, uh, Caitlin was in New Zealand at the time going to Bible college. That's how she got met Hercules. <laughs> uh, she's over there. We had a little app called Voxer that we could give her moment-to-moment, play-by-play uh, information. Uh, a son in, in Georgia uh, near Chattanooga, they were there. I mean, we were able to keep everybody posted. So we had people praying literally from here around the world, from here to New Zealand, Indiana to Nicaragua, one of our neighbor ladies, friend, uh, her, her father, I did some uh, mission work with him and did some pa- a pastor's conference down there. So he, he, she contacted him and had all those churches down there praying uh, during this week. Just, I mean, we've got friends in California, Indiana, like I said, you know, Charleston. New Jersey, I mean, everybody was like just really, and that that support was just, uh, you just can't, I can't express the, what that does to you. It's, it's amazing. So when we read this and you say, Lord, lead me to the rock that is higher than I, every one of us has one of those moments where we need, you know, whelmed is an interesting word, right? You know, it means you're loaded down, you're buried, you're you're turned upside down. 
So when you put the word over <laughs> in front of whelmed, you get it. It's over the top. And so let's just read this um, psalm here and we'll comment on a few things. Hear my prayer, O God. Attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I will cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. You have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. You will prolong the king's life. His years as many generations. He shall abide before God forever. Oh, per mercy, prepare mercy and truth, which may preserve him. And so I will sing to your name forever, that I may daily perform my vows. These are three powerful things that we do when we pray, we ask God to hear us, please be near us, and please lead us. Those are the, that's why we pray. We exercise faith. Faith is required, as we know, in our approach to God. Prayer reveals our hearts. It shows us exactly where we're at, what's going on. It's, it's, it's a way of just taking what's inside here and, and, and getting it out and voicing it to God. You know, the, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, does it, does it not? It's an act of faith. It's always the first step in our approach to the God is there. I love C.S. Lewis, most of us do. He said, you know, God whispers in our pleasures. He speaks to our consciousness and he shouts in our pain. And no doubt... We want God to hear us because we want to be heard. <laughs> Unlike the politicians, <laughs> God actually hears and he actually cares. <laughs> you know, my cry. You know, you can go outside and you can scream and holler. And for some of you, go down to your local, out your back door into the woods <laughs> and raise your voice. You can, joy, you can do it in joy or you can do it in your tears. Be near me, you know, to the ends of the earth. That means wherever God, wherever you may be, God is there. There's not a place I can't go that he's not there, but I need him to be near me. We needed God in that situation. Where else were we going to go, right? He's not far away. He's there. We needed him to lead us, show us how to, to, to work through this. You know, when my heart is overwhelmed, when my inner man cannot comprehend what's going on, when I cannot fix it, when I cannot do, when I'm at an end, I can't do anything. I'm stuck. That's when God can take over. And often God has to bring us to that point. And that's the difficult thing. That's how some of us get come to the point of just total surrender. Did I really believe that my children, before they were conceived, were dedicated to the Lord? When they were birthed, they were dedicated to the Lord? And let's just see. 
Is he still dedicated to me? Yeah. It's your son. He's a gift. God, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Because of what I said in that conversation was, Lord, if, if, you know, if you take your son, it's going to leave a big hole in my heart. And I just, you know, let it play out. But how many people I've heard, and I shudder when I hear this, I get angry with God in that situation. Why do you let this happen to me, you know? Where are you at when I need you? And, you know, cop, and, cop this attitude. We're not in control of anything. We don't own anything. Who do we think we are that we're going to, you know, we're going to persuade God and he's going he's gonna, to, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, let me take care of that for you. You know, let's say, you know, either, it's a, it, it, the trials of life are to bring that brokenness. Think of Moses when he's in that situation. He's just broken. I can't do this anymore. I didn't conceive these people. Well, I was taking care of sheep on the, on the backside of the desert. Just why? I can't do this. Overwhelmed. Paul, the cares of all the churches that were planted. You know, the, you know, the Judaizers trying to string him up and throw him to the lions all the time. I can't do this anymore. And the Lord comes beside him in Corinth and says, look, I got your back. I got many people in this city. I'm with you. You need those times. You need those moments when you can sit on the rock and just know he's there. He cares. You know, we should never doubt, nor should I the thoughts ever crossed my mind that I would just relegate it to, you know, second level, third level, fourth level type pastor. All pastors are on the same level with God. You're serving the king, you're a shepherd of your sheep, no matter how many are in the flock. It's not about numbers, it's not about that. It's about the quality of the fruit. That's what he cares about. And that's what he's after, good fruit. And he says, you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide. I'm going to dwell in his presence. See, what you, this is a choice. We're here. You know, very few people make the choice to come on Wednesday nights. Now, that doesn't put us in extra favor with God. It just enhances our walk strengthens us through the midweek and we're, we are able to stay strong because we're, we're in, abiding in his tabernacle. We've chosen this lifestyle. We want to be fed. We want to be nourished. We want to be strengthened. We've had this conversation, Kathy and I, many times about the midweek. Should we just you know, do something different? Well, I don't know. My comment <laughs> a number of years ago was, well, nobody else needs it. I do. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. <laughs> I will dwell in his tabernacle. You know what? We're all going to the big house someday. You ready to go to the big house? I'm gonna get. I'm gonna. I'm gonna get ready to enter the big house. So, I need and desire the fellowship of the saints. I desire the accountability that comes with being transparent with. 
my brothers in Christ. That's so important. It's a choice. It's also a choice, as he says here, I will trust in the shelter of your wings. We all have to come to that point of the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. I'd still be doing this by the grace of God if he would have taken my son. It would just been, I'd be changed and altered. And just like we have people in our church that have lost their mates. I'm praying with a lady right now. Kyle and I are working with her. She's going to lose her husband in the next day or so. He's 88 years old. They've had a great marriage. She loves the Lord. It don't matter how many years you've been married or when it happens, it, it's not easy ever. Well, you know, they're old. They live their life. <laughs> no, it's never like that. Hey, you love someone, you're committed to, you're, you're not going to, they're going to be home and you're going to miss them. You're not going to have fellowship with them until we get all get on the other side. Those are tough, those are tough things to, to bear. If you lose a child, we have to trust. He is our hiding place. It's where we run to. And notice as he ends this here, um, you, in verse 5, you, O Lord, have heard my vows. You know the commitment that I've made to you. I'm not turning back. I've put my hand to the plow. I'm not looking back. Yesterday's gone. Tomorrow's not here. I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying the course. This is the way it is. I'm committed. Early on in the our history, one of the Secretary of States was Daniel Webster. The dictionary man, right? He was usually a quiet, unusually quiet, um, this particular meeting that they had at the Fillmore uh, was the, during his uh, presidency. And um, he was having a, co- a conversation uh, with uh, one of his colleagues there. And uh, the friend said to him, Mr. Webster, Tell me, what's the most important thought you've ever had? And so for a brief moment, he replied, after a brief moment, he said, quote, the most serious thought I've ever occupied my mind was that of my individual responsibility to God. And would to God, all the members of the Church of Jesus Christ would feel the same way. That is the most important thing in our life is our responsibility before God. Look at all the things that he does that's written here by David. He gives me, he gives to me my heritage, my inheritance. I live and move and have my being in this little space that I occupy right now at 7021 Mountain View Road. That's my little space. You got your little space at your address. And all the stuff that we have, all our stuff. (laughs) He gives us an inheritance. He prolongs our lives as he prolongs the life of the king. This is messianic here. He preserves our life just like 
Jesus' life is preserved forever, obviously. The idea of preserving us, he's guarding us. We've had this rainstorms, you know, these past weekend. They're just like five minutes, the sun shining and frying us. The next minute, it's a downpour, torrential downpour, you know, three inches or whatever. So that, you know, you guys remember what happened Sunday afternoon. So I'm casually laying in my bed, resting, reading. Kathy's in the other room. Greg, Greg, Greg. Like, what, what, what? There's a bear. She goes and locks the doors because we've got handles on our doors and she's thinking, it's coming in here. It comes galloping across the lawn. And, and then, mind you, the wind is really blowing and it is really hammering waves of rain, you know, like a hurricane type drum pour. <laughs> and this galloping bear stops at the trellis where we have bird feeders hanging down and thinking, hmm, look, there's something there to eat. <laughs> like, and so I step out onto the porch and bark at him in a real authoritative voice. And he takes off immediately, scared him. It doesn't take much to get a black bear to move. And he takes off towards the neighbors. I think, maybe I should call my neighbors. You get a bear coming your way. <laughs> you know, I really wasn't too worried about it. I think I understand the bears. I don't want a grizzly coming. Black bears, I'm not too worried about. Grizzlies, I'd be terrified. But the word here, preserve, means guard. God is guarding us. He will bark at the enemy. He will keep us and preserve us and protect us. He's merciful and gracious. And while he really calls us to do is verse 8. Just sing, just praise, just love the Lord. What is going on in your life that, that, that he can't handle? That he can't take care of? You fill in the blank. This is a little... I, had, I w wish I could... Um, I don't know who to give credit for this, but um, in so many words, he's, this, this fellow says, God bends his ear to all, not one, not the humblest or the poorest is neglected, Wherever we are, however great and sore our thoughts, our troubles may be, though weak and sinful we may be, unworthy of the least of his mercies, yet when we call upon him, he hears us. If we commit our cause to him, he will bring us deliverance. And this really is what the psalm is about. It, if you call upon the Lord in the time of trouble, he will hear you. And all of us can testify that he's been faithful to do that. And when you think about all the people on the planet that are living and how many people simultaneously are in trouble right now at this very moment that are calling upon the God of the universe, the creator God, to come and help them. And he shows mercy and kindness and he's in charge of every one of those situations and they're all under his control. It's just unfathomable. The eternal mind of God and his power, it's, you just 
it's just overwhelming to think how the infinite, unchanging love of God never, ever fails. He's so good to us. Father, we thank you for who you are. We just humble ourselves before you, Lord, because we're, <laughs> as the scripture says, the men of the earth <laughs> wear as grasshoppers on this planet. We have little consequence, Lord. But yet you condescend to our level and you love us more than we can ever imagine. And so we're giving you permission to just continue to deepen our faith, strengthen our walk. Please encourage your people and those that may be overwhelmed in our church, more they be encouraged and, and, and overwhelmed by your love to a greater degree than their pain and their sorrow, Lord. Bring healing and restoration. Bring your blessing upon your people, Lord, because of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. So I think it'd be appropriate tonight for...